Guy Adami here. Welcome to a special bonus edition of On The Tape. Now listen, Dan, I'm older than you are. I know that you point it out all the time. But when I was a kid, there was the emergency broadcasting system. And you know what? That's what I feel like right now. Things have been so crazy over the last week that both Dan and I thought it would be important to come in and speak to you guys and gals about what's been going on, specifically about GameStop, but then how it's manifested itself in other areas as well. And by the way, we can go off the tape in a few minutes with Sawhill Bloom. He's going to speak to exactly that. But Dan, you've seen it. I've seen it. What are your thoughts as to the last week, week and a half? So, Guy, you grew up on radio. I grew up on TV. I used to watch a lot of NBC. They used to have this little segment, The More You Know. Remember right, that sure. with like the cool little rainbow thingy majiggy? It's funny. You know, you and I, we do a lot of talking about markets, about market psychology, about trading. We're on a show called Fast Money. Generally, we're talking about what happened that day, what might happen the next day. What happened over the last couple of weeks is really a trading phenomenon that I think people will be talking about for a very long time. You know, over the course of our careers, there's been lots of these kind of incidents that have really created some real ripples in the markets. I think back to the late 90s when we were in a raging bull market. It, right, And there was the Asian crisis and the Russian crisis and long-term capital. I heard long-term capital's collapse from 98 brought up very frequently over the last couple of weeks. But in hindsight, it really set the stage for a massive rally. You know, the S&P 500 back in that summer of 98, when that thing was blowing up, sold off, I think, 22% or so. But over the next four or five months, was up like 25, 30%. And then obviously, 1999 was what it was. The GameStop thing, man, oof, you know, this was one that I think is very different and it's very similar to some of the other, and you've mentioned this before, these kind of populist movements where the weaponization of a mob can do some specific damage when it's very targeted. And that's what happened here. But but my question for you, and we talked about this a little bit on Friday on the tape, was it just the mob or were there other factors at play? Because the back of this movement seems to be broken at the moment. When I look at GameStop traded as low as 80, it's trading about 128. We're here on Tuesday midday or so. Silver, the other target, not doing a whole heck of a lot, down 7 8% and down 15% from those recent highs. What's your take here on the price action? What does it mean about this movement if it even was a movement? Well, I think you bring up a great point. And I do believe, again, just my opinion, Dan, but I do believe this started out as a group of people on this Reddit platform that said, hey, you know, we go to GameStop, we understand this, maybe they did their homework, and maybe they thought it would be an interesting trade. And I do believe that that's how it started. I think what happened from that is greater forces from somewhere that, you know, that I've yet to determine sort of caught on to this. And I think they used Uh, This group of people, and I'm going to use the word, it's going to piss some people off, but I think they use that group as pawns, not dissimilar to what we saw in the movie Boiler Room, where, by the way, those brokers made themselves a lot of money, but they were being directed from a greater force. And I think that's what we're seeing here. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily nefarious or illegal going on, but I do think that someone realized that, hey, we could use this group to our advantage. They could be our mouthpiece and we could do something special here in a name like GameStop. So I used it last week, I believe, on on the tape and I'll use it now. I think we're trying to figure out who the Barzini is in all of this or who the Barzinis are in all of this. 
And I don't think those people have been identified yet, Dan. So we've had two podcasts in three trading days, and there's two Godfather references, Guy. Um, well, I think our, you know, our, our, I think our listeners are starting to get a feel. You know, I actually, in an email to a viewer the other day who is calling out some of our colleagues, whether they be on CNBC or our friends at banks, and I just responded with a video. This is the business that we've chosen. Can you give us some context there? Well, I mean, you bring up a great point. That's obviously in Godfather 2. I'm glad you mentioned it. They're in Cuba at the time. And Michael Corleone is speaking to an elder gentleman. And he says to him, Michael, this is the business we've chosen. I mean, this is the business we've gotten ourselves into. And I think that's true here. There are great highs in trading and there are great lows. My concern is we're in for one of the great lows. And my even more concern, the fact that I think there's a group of people that think as long as they hold on to GameStop, as long as they hold the shares, by definition, it has to go up. And that's just patently false. And that's going to hurt a lot of people, Dan. Well, listen, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there were some very poor risk management decisions on a fundamental trade that got really crowded. And this is obviously in the GameStop. And so I think that anger that you're speaking about, yeah, there were some really smart people on the dark web who figured this out, got long this stock. They started chatting about it. There's going to be a lot of discussion about whether there was collusion, whether there was other larger players involved. They may not even be from the United States. Look at how information has been weaponized on the internet over the last five years in this country and again caused some very significant movement and you know the truth is at the end of the day there aren't too many winners you know we're going to talk with saw hill about this about the democratization of financial markets and stock ownership and all that and i think that is really part of the point at least some very prominent influencers billionaire investors have made that point on cnbc and a lot of other places about what's going on here i'm not so sure that's the case because i don't think that when it comes to trading or when it comes to investing the idea of voting with your wallet makes a whole heck of a lot of sense the idea of voting with a wallet against your best interest does not and i'll tell you why because it doesn't give you longevity and there's the biggest difference between trading and investing. Trading is really hard. I've been doing it for a long time. To be consistent and to be profitable, it takes risk management. These are things that I can really suck at often, okay? So the idea that you could get really lucky in a short period of time and make a lot of money and then repeat that behavior over and over again based on some sort of populist sentiment doesn't ring true to me. The idea of investing in the long haul and being consistent and dollar cost averaging when things are going bad and keep doing that when things are going good and not being too concentrated and being diverse, you know, all those sorts of things that we talk about, you know, that makes sense to me. So I'm not certain that the little guy is going to come out the winner here. And as I said on Friday, pod, what I think is most certain is that the institutions that trade volatility, the institutions that make money on bid-ask spread, the institutions that make money on charging for margin, right? All those things, pay up for order flow. Those are going to do just fine here. And I'm not sure there was the revolution that the Reddit army thought was going to happen. It's going to be the outcome. Yeah. And before we bring on Sawhill Bloom, I'd like to just sort of add to that. Obviously, Mel Gibson, I'm a fan of Mel Gibson. Don't at me, please. But two of his better movies, one obviously Braveheart and the other is The Patriot. In both those movies, he's the leader and he's leading a group of men in this case. Uh, and they, they line up to him. They're steadfast in their belief of what he's doing and they're willing to die uh, being led by this man. And it's interesting why I bring that up, because 
you, know, you read some of these message boards, a lot of these folks are, we're willing to lose money on this one. They're so eager to stick it to the man. Well, it's easy to say you're willing to lose money until you lose money. And then the game changes very quickly. Dan mentioned it. Trading is extraordinarily difficult. Investing is a little easier in so much as markets go up and markets go down. But over time, history has taught us that markets seem to trend higher. So if you can stay the course on the investing side, you'll typically emerge victorious. Whereas trading, you see these bouts of volatility. And oh, by the way, I just want to mention one thing. I think what we saw over the week and a half, broader market being higher today, notwithstanding, this might be the turning point for a lot of different things. I think there are a lot of folks looking at their books, trying to figure out how to pare down risk, not only in underlying single stocks, but in volatility as well. And I think that's going to manifest at some point in, in a significant self in the broader markets. Thoughts, Dan? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, you know, last week we saw a degrossing. You know, I, let's, let's talk about the two biggest names in the stock market, Apple and Microsoft, both reported massive quarters with really good guidance. That's $4 trillion in combined market cap. And both of those stocks ended up selling off from those prints. Now, the money moved back in there in a big, big way. Today, after the close, Alphabet and Amazon are going to be reporting. So there's another $3 trillion in market cap, likely to have very good quarters. I guess the question I would have is that those names, and I've been saying this for a while on Fast Money and on our pod, seem to be very defensive. Investors seem very comfortable in piling into those big names that make up a huge part of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. Well, to me, just because you feel comfortable in those names and they're defensive, I think it's really important to remember there's probably a reason why those names have been consolidating over the last few months, especially as the Fed has remained very dovish. You know, obviously, there's been a rotation in industrials and financials and energy, that sort of thing. But I guess we're still in February 2nd, okay? You know, we came a long way off the pandemic lows in March. And I just think that with rates where they are, uh, I'm not certain they're going so much higher. I'm not so sure that the market is not due for a pullback. The euphoric fervor that we saw over the last week and a half or so is likely to have ramifications in the broad market sooner than later. And I think if you're really bullish about the U.S. or the global economy coming back towards those pre-pandemic levels as it relates to GDP and then risk assets, that sort of thing, you're going to want a bit of a pullback here, a little deeper than what we saw last week, about four and a half percent. And I think in the S&P 500, 3,500 might be achievable in the, in the near future. And that might be a great spot to set up for a rip to new highs and then a sustained move higher. You mentioned defensive. It's interesting. You know, at its trough valuation, Apple probably traded anywhere from 12 to 13 times forward earnings, trading 32 times next year's numbers right now. So I don't think Apple should have ever traded down to a 12 valuation, but at 32 times, it can be as defensive as you want. That's rich. By the way, Microsoft trading at those valuations as well. And over the last week, week and a half, we saw VIX went from 21 and a half to 40 basically, in a straight line on what was, generally speaking, a pretty benign move to the downside in the broader market. Just keep that in mind, folks, as we go over the next couple of weeks. After this brief break, we're going to go off the tape with the great Sawhill Bloom. Let's go off the tape with our good friend Sawhill Bloom. You know him as that stud right-hander from Stanford. Some know him as an investor. Dan and I know him as a wonderkin. Yes, I use that word. We're going off the tape, so hell, because what we've seen over the last week and a half has been fascinating. You know, I actually remember the, the Hunt Brothers short squeeze in silver. You wrote about it in one of your epic uh, tweet storms 
What's on your mind? I mean, you've seen what's going on over the last week and a half. How do you sort of parse this and figure this whole thing out? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate uh, being back here again. It's been an interesting week and a half, to say the least. I mean, you said it well. It's just a crazy, crazy time in the markets. A fascinating time if you're interested in in learning about all this and seeing kind of behavioral economics and all of these different fields of study come together and how markets, people, emotions are playing into it. Uh, really just been an interesting time. So let me ask you this. You wrote this tweet storm about the, the Hunt brothers cornering the silver market. It was interesting because obviously there was just one reason for them to do that. It was just to make money. You know, it, what did you learn from that experience, the way it kind of shook out, the way the regulation came in? And are there any comparisons? I know this is unfolding in real time, what we've seen in the equity market. The irony is that the Wall Street Beds crowd obviously set their sights on silver too. And was that the reason that you decided to take a deep dive into the Hunt brothers back in the 70s? Yeah, well, I think there's a few interesting things going on here, right? You had the the GameStop drama of last week, which I think has been talked about now ad nauseum. But after that, you, you had basically on Twitter and on these other message boards, a lot of chatter around silver and quote unquote silver squeeze being the next move where where this mass of people would flood to try to drive up the price of an asset class. The reality, I think, under the surface was a little bit different. Apparently, Wall Street Bets had never really set its sight on the silver market, and that was much more of a kind of misinformation campaign from what I understand now. But the reality was that Silver Squeeze was trending on Twitter. That was what prompted me to want to write about you know, the original Silver Squeeze, the Hunt Brothers, which market participants, traders all know about, very famous incident. And there are a number of lessons that come out of it. Number one, I think there's a big difference between squeezing the silver market and a thinly traded small cap stock like a like a GameStop, right? You have this massive, relatively efficient global commodity market. It's a lot more difficult to drive a short squeeze in that type of market. Number one, which I think you know you're seeing today when you look at the silver market, it's down what seven eight percent. So clearly, so far at least, it hasn't gone so well. You know, and then number two. The rules of the game can change at any time. And if if the government in particular does not like the way the game is going and doesn't like the way the game is being played, they will change the game. And that's what happened to the Hunt brothers. I mean, they, for all intents and purposes, had cornered the market. I think you know most estimates said that they had controlled over two-thirds of the global available supply of silver at one point, which is just baffling to think about, you know, across both physical and paper markets. And the government didn't like it. The CFTC came in with Silver Rule 7, basically requiring them to put up additional margin, increase the margin requirements, and it led to a deleveraging spiral and cratered them on all of it. And so it, it was just a great example of a historical case study of the rules of the game being changed underneath your feet. And so as a market participant, in my mind, what that means is you need to have a defensive footing at all times. You can never take a victory lap mid-game because it can always shift under your feet. Yeah, I appreciate that, Sohel. And that's something that Dan and I spoke about earlier in our podcast, that's my biggest problem, the changing of the rules at halftime. You know, I, again, I said this, I know Dan and I went back and forth on Fast Money. I think we went back and forth a little last week on, on the tape, but these guys and gals effectively won. I mean, they had the system beat. You know, you saw GameStop trade almost $500 a share. My concern is, yes, the rules have been changed, but I think for a lot of these people, they still think 
as long as they continue to hold on to their stock, it's getting back to those prices. And my concern has always been that there's some bigger forces behind this. And the little guys and gals that are being championed are the ones who are going to get fleeced on this entire move up and down. Yeah, I think that's always the concern, right? This has been touted as a movement around the democratization of finance, the democratization of opportunity, wealth creation, etc. And I think there is a lot of merit to that. And it is a very noble cause. We should all want greater equality around wealth creation, around the ability to invest and, and grow your money over time. The reality is it was clearly a kind of crazy speculative and rapid move that was not sustainable. And if you've studied history and been around the markets, and anyone that had been around the markets for a long time would have looked at it and said, there is no way this keeps going up at some point, right? And today you look at it, and I think it's down another 60 plus percent last I checked. It's down below 100, well below 100. So the people that were buying at you know 300 plus or after hours, it had gotten up to 500. It's really scary. And if you weren't educated around these topics and understanding the dynamics, the plumbing behind the move, and the fact that the government uh, regulators, et cetera, might come in and change the rules, it's a really, really scary thing. So it's interesting, Sahil. You know, we've been discussing this a lot over the last week and a half. There's been a lot of targets by this Wall Street bets community. And, and really, to Guy's point, who knows who they are? Obviously, there is a very decentralized movement here, but there might be some other very big players. We were talking about it last week that it would not be surprising to see some foreign actors, you know what I mean, involved in this sort of thing. Um, obviously, there's probably some hedge funds involved. And, and you know, the, the IRA has been turned to Robinhood, which was supposedly that change agent for democratizing the financial system. And I, I guess that the irony here is this, that over the last 10 to 15 years, hedge funds have not been the smart money. Yeah, there's hedge funds making money here and there and doing well. But when you think about the move into passive investing and the ETFs and that sort of thing, that was the democratization of the financial services community. You didn't have to be a genius anymore. You you just had to invest in the spy or the QQQ because you know why? The most innovative companies in the world and the ones that have performed the best make up a huge percentage of those equity ETFs. So I just think it's kind of interesting. I think there's another example of the mob voting with their wallet, but really against their best interest. And so is that the lesson here? I think there are a lot of lessons. It's certainly one of them to think about is just what is the democratization of all of this? In my mind, you're absolutely right. There is a huge movement over the last 10, 15, 20 years towards passive investing, towards the ability to create wealth while you sleep, just investing in, as you said, the spy or QQQ. You know, and really that is investing in a safe way in the sense, not, not you know, risk-free, but in the sense that it is investing behind the people that change the rules. You, know, you have the government, the Fed, pumping money out into the system. Everyone you know, complains about the inequality that creates. Well, it also buoys the stock markets and you know, has for the last, if you go back the last 20, 30 years, there's been a consistent upward trend, right? And so, so it's, it's something to think about as you think about investing is you have the opportunity to play that broader macro long-term trend that the government will continue to push money out into the system, buoy the equity markets, and you can get behind that and benefit from it in that same way. So I my last question to you is, and I'm not looking to tee anybody up here, but who do you think, because I have, and I'll put it out there, you know, there are a couple bad guys out there. I think Robin Hood really blew it on this one. You know, I'm concerned that Citadel might be the puppeteer in this whole thing or the puppet master. Are there any real bad guys here? Because to me, it feels like to our earlier point, 
the, the democratization is going to lead to the majority of these folks on the Robinhood platform probably losing money on this GameStop and maybe some of the other names they got into as well. Do you see I can see who the victims are. Do you see who the villain is or are? I don't know if there's a single villain. Everyone is playing into their own incentives. I think there's been obviously a movement to paint Robin Hood as the villain for changing the rules on the system. I think it's debatable whether it was them that changed the rules or whether they were simply following the rules and what was required around them from a back-end plumbing perspective and what they had to put up in terms of in terms of capital and deposits. Citadel, I frankly just do not know enough yet and have been continuing to do my research on it because a number of people have reached out to me wanting me to write a thread on on how it's all working. So I don't know. I think it might be too early in the game to paint a specific villain. I'm sure there's going to be investigations. I'm sure there's going to be additional information that comes out on all of it. So stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned uh, indeed. I mean, I just think that, you know, Guy and I obviously are on CNBC's Fast Money. There's been a lot of targets about who the man is, who the suits are, who this movement was sticking it to. And we've definitely had our guard up. You know, I, I'll just say this is that, you know, we got to know you because we saw some of the stuff that you do with CNBC's Acorn, some of these educational threads that you do on Twitter. And 100% you are trying to help democratize financial information about how people invest. And we give you a massive shout out. That's why we've really enjoyed having you on. And you're going to continue to come on here. When it comes to Guy and I on CNBC, man, we get put in these meme videos and all this stuff. And we're not complaining about it. I mean, but what do you think we're doing on CNBC out there? You think we're talking our book or shilling for this corporate or that? No, we're trying to like talk to the people a little bit too. So I just think it's kind of interesting, the ire that has been kind of forced upon some different entities. I think there's very clearly some people who deserve some blame in this whole thing. But don't think for a second that riling up an angry mob and getting them to do things that are probably not in their financial best interest is not a good idea. It's probably not illegal. I think there will be many cases about collusion in this whole thing. But with GameStop here now, you know, below $100, I think the fever is broken. Like you said, silver down 7 8% today. I think that this crowd realized that it's really hard to do this in things that are not heavily shorted. And then the last question I have for you, if the smart money was the target, right, the Melvin who is short this thing, and obviously that was a bad risk management decision in the GameStop, if they're out of the short, which the smart money, I guess the other smart money knew about Monday morning, and this thing is cratered, right, from 480 down to 80, you know, who wins here? I have no idea. So just take us out here, Sahil, if, if there's any lessons for your, your Twitter followers here about um, how this kind of goes next. I think it all comes back to what you said about education. To me, it's like this whole idea of arming the rebels, you know, and it's a funny way of saying it. But it's really how I think about it. You know, we have this movement around democratization. To me, it all comes down to education. You, you need to arm people with the information, with the uh, education they need in order to achieve their goals. And at the end of the day, everyone is just looking to create a better life for their kids and their family than they had. That is fundamentally what I believe everyone's ultimate goal is. And so we need to be doing what we can. It's what I try to do through Twitter in a small way. It's what I know you guys try to do with your work with CNBC, with Fast Money. And it's a noble cause. And I think it's important. And understanding people's incentives and their goals is critical. But at the end of the day, everything comes down to education for me. I think we need much more financial education, financial literacy training in schools. I, I baffles me that it's not there's no national mandate around that. And you start to chip away at it over the long term. But 
we all need to be more long-term focused, more education focused, and avoid the missteps that really harm you on your quest to compound your wealth over the long term. Well, Sawhill, thanks for going off the tape with Dan and myself this morning. We truly, truly appreciate it. We've said this before. We tweet about it. And I know I can speak for Dan by saying, you know, you're one of the great new voices on Twitter and on in the financial media world. And we're looking forward to seeing some of the amazing things you have in store. If you want to follow Sawhill, it's at Sawhill Bloom. That's S-A-H-I-L Bloom on Twitter. He does an amazing job. It's absolutely worth your time. Sawhill, thank you. And thank you, Dan Nathan. We'll be back with Danny Moses this Friday for On The Tape. We just wanted to get this quick one in with Sawhill. Very timely, given what's going on in the market. Please subscribe in the podcast stores to On The Tape. Review, rate it, share it with your friends. It helps us out and it helps people find the podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter, On The Tape Pod. We'll see you Friday with Danny Moses. Danny Moses.